Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Who are you? Bond. James Bond. Oh, Draco? Yes, who is it? Bond. James Bond. Thank God, James. Good evening. My name is Bond. James Bond. Who are you? Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The next best Bond debut of Timothy Dalton in The Living Daylights. I mean, this this is one of our favourite films in the whole series. And Timothy Dalton, his history with the franchise goes way back because he was asked to audition when Sean Connery left the role ahead of On a Majesty's Secret Service. Because I think he, he'd just been in the line of winter, in line in winter, which is obviously a massive success and Oscar-nominated, Oscar-winning, I think. In fact, I think, did John Barry might have won an Oscar for that? But anyway, he he said, Timothy Dalton said, he was too young. He was only 25 then. And imagine the pressure on a 25-year-old, never mind George at 29, succeeding Sean as Bond. And he did later sort of dwell on that when he was interviewed for the role in Living Daylights. And he said he thinks Bond should be between 35 and 40. So there you go. And as a 25 to 26-year-old, he wouldn't have been right. In 85... You know, apparently, A View to a Kill was a disappointment. I mean, I, I don't agree with that. Work began on the scripts for the next Bond film. Now, I know this did say that the intention was they didn't think Roger would reprise the role. He's sort of unofficially retired, and he would have been 59 when they came to film it. I think talking with John Glenn and reading around a lot of the, the scripts with The Living Daylights, it was sort of, it wasn't written for Timothy Dalton, but... It, it sort of gradually morphed into something. So there are sort of elements which are almost leftovers from the Roger era that you occasionally see in the script. But the finished product, you could never argue that it was it, it, another... I don't think another actor could have done it, personally. The way it's done by Tim is fantastic. But, of course, before we got Tim, we had the absolute mess, really, with Pierce Brosnan. There was a massive search for Bond actors then. It wasn't quite as clear-cut as when Roger got it, that he was definitely going to take over. You had Sam Neill, and you can see his audition. 
online. Uh, again, the famous Tatiana Romanova scene. Pierce Brosnan, of course, we'll, we'll go on to him. He and Timothy Dalton, all three of them did an audition in 86. All three of them were really considered and sold, apart from Cubby, who wasn't sold on Sam Neill. And Sam Neill himself said he never wanted the role. But he, I mean, he, might, he could say that now, can't he? The financial backers were MGM still, and they recommended Mel Gibson. I mean, that sounds silly now, perhaps, but in the 80s back then, I mean, he was absolutely incredible, really charismatic. I, th- I think personally he would have been quite good. Fairly small, though. People don't, people don't realise that. But again, when we spoke to John Glenn, he, he still says, I think John Glenn would uh, <laughs> I think Mel Gibson would have been terrific in the role. That was a possibility, but he was far too expensive. So it was, it was never going to happen. There was still that kind of idea that you want a British person playing James Bond at that stage. Plenty of other people were in the frame. When we spoke to Marianne Darbo, she did the screen test with Lambert Wilson, the French actor. He Again, he looks the part, certainly. He looks very Bond, but he, he wasn't to be. Perhaps he wasn't quite British enough. So the producers did eventually turn to Brosnan after another three-day screen test. But of course, then... If you don't know the story, he was contracted to this TV series in America called Remington Steel. But then it was cancelled due to falling ratings. So this was like, brilliant, right? There we go. It was it was announced that he was going to be Bond. And you can see the pictures of John Glenn Cubby signing the deal, ready to start filming. The problem with that, though, was that that caused a surge in interest for Remington Steel because it was still being shown. They then thought, oh, right, no, no, let's 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 sort of seize upon this. And do another series, so that led to a sort of break clause in co- in Brosnan's contract to make a further series. And you know what Cubby was like then; he's not going to say, "Oh, we'll wait another year or something." We've got to get on with this Bond film now. So the offer was withdrawn. Ironically, that led to a drop in interest in Remington Steel, and so only five more episodes of film, and it was cancelled. So he could have done it. What must it have been like for Brosnan? It must have been awful, really. I mean, it must be uh, on many different levels, just really, just terrible. One from a professional. I think when you when a show's, I think I can't remember how many seasons of Remington Steel they've, they've been at that point, but I think it's if you know it's going down and it's not going to go back. I think maybe he was ready, and I think based on you know interviews and whatever else that he said, I, I think you kind of hear that anyway, and just. I think he was ready to, and I think something like Bond was like the ne- next natural prog- progression for him. And instead, that's halted. You know, of course, he gets the role in the end, but you know, it's waiting nine years, which is a really long time. But yeah, I think on a personal level, it's kind of just like, oh, you've it's the last possible, the, the last possible reason. There's so many shows that don't get picked up that don't make a next season. You know, you see it nowadays. People do petitions and all of, yeah, all the large you know noise to get a show you know put back on the air and it doesn't work and the fact that this to say that maybe it was only bond that could have potentially got this show back and then (laughs) it doesn't even work out anyway it would have been different if the show worked out but it didn't but no i would i would have been devastated and i would have felt like that was the only opportunity because once you've got into that moment how do you ever get that back you have no idea how long the next person is going to do it or what the landscape's going to be like in the 90s, you know, how's Bond going to be? Is this something that would yeah. even be... So I can just imagine at that point, and he says it in the Everything or Nothing uh, documentary, he says, like, right, that's it. Like, I thought that was it. We're glad that it wasn't. Um, but luckily, it's not the end of the world, and it wasn't. Absolutely right. I mean, 
we'll now we'll now sort of go into who was cast and it was Tim. Basically, when that happened, they went then definitely Dalton, and it was Dana Broccoli who said yes, let's go with him. Cubby apparently was was a bit worried because Dalton wasn't sort of clamouring for the part. You know, he's not one of these guys who's going to publicly say, yes, I'd love to be Bond. Dana basically said, Cubby, you need to meet with him. And then this the same thing happened again. <laughs> so Dalton was filming this this film called Brenda Star. I don't know if anyone's seen that, but I, I've not seen it. So he, he was unavailable. And then luckily for him, in the intervening period, he, having completed the film, he had a gap in his schedule. So he was offered the role. And this time he's like, yes, I'm going to go for it. Does anyone know Robert Bathurst, the the actor who was in Cold Feet, amazingly? <laughs> the no. sort of more well-spoken one. You, you probably you probably don't know him, Charlie, but he's he's on English TV screens. But he was apparently... Oh, yes. Yeah. ...audition. But even he said he thinks it was just an arm-twisting exercise to sort of to get Tim to sort of say yes. They've got to say, they did it with Roger, didn't they? No, we're still auditioning. We're still auditioning. You know, if you if you want to come back, you need to do it soon. So I think that's why they did it. Tim basically said yes. Dick Maybaum was very happy with the choice, and I think that's partly because he could sort of factor the scripts more to them. As we know, Tim famously said, doesn't he, he wants to go back to the Fleming, and he, he particularly favoured the first three Bond films. They're, they're his favourites. And he wanted to sort of you have to do it differently, don't you? It's not it's not saying Roger Moore's way of doing Bond is bad, but there's no point trying to him trying to do Roger Moore, is there? Because it's not what he's good at. And so they did turn back to this sort of more Fleming style, particularly with the story. The first half especially is is so Cold War espionage. And I think personally it's the perfect film for him to be introduced. So Charlie, just can you remember the moment that Tim was announced as Bond? Actually, no, I do not oh, remember. Right. I don't remember any of the publicity yeah. around Bond's uh, being announced. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, you know, I, I was, I was seeing the movies. You know, first run of the theater. Um, uh, like, like I said, I, I pretty much everything since Live and Let Die I saw in the theater. But yeah, I don't, I don't remember the. Honestly, do not remember the hype. I remember vaguely the Pierce Brosnan, you know, kerfuffle with him being considered for the role and then becoming unavailable. But, but yeah, I. I I don't really remember. It was really I, my first memory is is his introduction in the film, and that's what an entrance that is. I mean, what more can you want? I think even now, I'm glad it's still being talked about as the really famous one is, of course, in Doctor No. But this is probably the most, the second most heralded now, isn't it? The way that the music crescendos, and of course, the exercise in Gibraltar. It's loads of different double O agents. If you look at the behind the scenes shots, he is on the plane. You can see Dalton is one of the the guys who jumps out. Of course, well. The stunt that did it, but he's he's in that scene with that. Gentlemen, this may only be an exercise so far as the Ministry of Defence is concerned, but for me, it is a matter of pride that the double O section has been chosen for this test. Your objective is to penetrate the radar installations of Gibraltar. Now the SAS have been placed on full alert to intercept you, but I know you won't let me down. Good luck, men. To know that he's going to be revealed as one of the agents when he turns around. And, of course, it's when the rogue agent has revealed himself and killed one of them. It's just... I mean, I think it's one of the best, if not the best, pre-title sequence, but that moment, was it... Did, were you sold on him, Charlie, as Bond? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and thinking about... I actually, 
I actually was, I watched, I watched Living Daylights and GoldenEye since, since, uh, since last week. I, I was thinking, sort of doing a comparison to the, uh, to the, the Lazenby intro. I may have mentioned something about this then, but you know, the, the George Lazenby intros, they start with these close-ups of him, you know, lighting a cigarette in the car and, you know, putting a cigarette in his mouth and everything. And so you're, you're sort of seeing close-up bits and pieces of him. In a way, this one's the opposite where you're seeing yeah. These three anonymous people, you know, with their backs towards you in the in the M's office scene in the plane, and then you see them in silhouette. You see them, you know, skydiving, and and then you know the lead up is you see what happens to the first two agents, and then as you say, the music builds, and you see that wonderful shot of him snapping his head around as he hears the other agent screaming and falling to his death. That's it, John. You're out of it. Yeah, there's there's just there's something about the way they frame that shot, the, the the music, the gesture of his snapping his head around and, and looking to, to see the source of the sound. It's really, really beautifully done. I think for me, it just really cemented him in the role, on the basis of those first few minutes of film. And he's so hands-on, isn't he? He's involved in the action. He's on the top of that Jeep. It's just, it's pure exhilaration. And I really hope we can get an introduction like that for our next. That would be the sort of litmus test that I would go for. Game's up, mate. You're dead. It was weird, actually, because when I got all of the tapes, the only Bonds that I'd never seen at that point were George and Tim. And George had slotted in between Connery and Moore. I, I felt more comfortable with that. Whereas I feel like Roger Moore's era and Brosnan's are so different visually that it was kind of weird seeing for the first time this branch between them where you kind of get this, you know, serious bond, you know, because, you know, Brosnan and Moore, for as dark as they can be, are, are mostly quite light. So it actually, it took a while for me to really enjoy the Dalton films. Not that I didn't at all, but they were some of the last ones I saw out of all of them. And I think when you have your favorites, it's very difficult, unless you've completely blown away. And License to Kill was a bit too, at that age, 10, 11 years old, it's a bit too much yeah. viewing. The Living Daylights felt a bit weird. Just, and I think is it could have been based on what was going on scripts-wise, because I know there probably was elements that they they brought over that you know ideas and stuff that had been brought over from a more era. Mixing in some other elements as they kind of try to figure out who Bond is, and that's completely natural and completely appreciate that. And you know, you see it. I mean, everyone's everyone knows that the magic carpet deleted scene and all yeah. that, which I I would love to see. Roger do that. I just think that would have been so funny, but it would have been wrong to have that in Living Daylights. And as much as you, people might have got a laugh out of it, I think it would have taken away from his performance, which is so strong and so serious the entire film. As you get older, you have a, you can look at things from a different perspective. And I do look at Dalton's era completely differently. As much as, you know, I'm still, I can't say Living Daylights is my favorite licensed kill is in my top 10 and Living Dallas has so many amazing things about it anyway and I think part of it is Dalton's just performance in general and his physicality which I appreciate. I, I think John Orty has said about actors are there to act and you've got people to do stunts and you've, you know that is traditionally how it is and I agree with that and I, and I think there's you know stunt people do their work and they should be appreciated for it however I love 
when you can see the actor and you know that they're doing some of it, it makes the transitions and the cuts between the stunt person and the actor a bit easier and you can kind of suspend your disbelief a little bit more. So when you see Dalton in that first pre-title sequence and he's on the Jeep, it makes you feel like he is at the top of Gibraltar and that he could go right off the edge at any moment. But he plays the character with such conviction that I don't think anyone else had done so before so strongly. His motivation for it really speaks for itself through what he does on screen. And so it, you can't fault Dalton at all. I don't think it's right to do so. And I would really like to know why people would. I, I can understand maybe the films and maybe this weird late 80s era where you're kind of not really sure where it's going, but they were doing something with it and they were trying out different things, which you can only applaud because otherwise it would have gone stale and you can't do what Roger did before. That wouldn't have been right either. It's such an indelible image. It was, it was one of the first ones we actually got on video as opposed to recording off TV. So it was almost to us, it felt cleaner. and There was no adverts. The pitch was better, the sound was better. It's all so boring here, Margo. There's nothing but playboys and tennis pros. If only I could find a real man. I need to use your phone. She'll call you back. Who are you? Bond, James Bond. Exercise control 007 here. I'll report in an hour. Won't you join me? Better make that too. We must have watched it so many times. So it, it was never for us, for some reason, we never had the whole Roger and Tim so different, one after each other, because they were all just watched all different times of the day. And the film is, is a lot of fun. You know, there is, mm. there's a lot of serious things in it, as with Licence to Kill, but there's a heck of a lot of silly things that kids love. I mean, some of the fights in it, you know, that, that fight that Bond isn't even in, in the kitchen, we just thought that was terrific. And the Baddy Milkman, who that's what we used to call him, of course, Necros. It's just, I, I couldn't believe how cool this guy was and the disguises, chucking these milk bottles around and blowing up. It's weird because it, it, it sort of point, painted now as one of the more traditional, like from Russia with Love, Living Daylights. We as kids absolutely loved it. And <laughs> it's, it's that, I don't know, everyone has their own different experience, don't they, with these Bond films growing up and... I just it's the one I turn to many, many times and I love to rewatch it. I would say actually that I think you, you mentioned Netcross and I feel like Living Daylights and License to Kill, at least for me as a as a kid, like first watching them, felt more like realistic evil <laughs> rather than yeah. kind yeah. of fancy evil. You know, I was scared of the Scarecrows and Baron Samedi. I was scared of Scaramanga a little bit. I was scared of Jaws. Those things scared me, but in one way they seemed larger than life characters not that Necross isn't but he because of him doing those things and using his headphones because <laughs> because he strangles someone with with headphones he's throwing milk bottles he's and he looks gorgeous and then he's yeah. doing all of these things and he's just absolutely terrible and i think that's what made him even scarier which in turn makes the film a bit more dramatic have more stakes and it's the same with license to kill with Sanchez and with Dario and uh, and all of those uh, from from his team from his group, it is very much getting onto a more, more mature level. Maybe Living Daylights isn't all the way there, but you can kind of see the direction it's going in. Which what makes the the thought of a third Dalton, which oh. 
I feel like it is mentioned every single time, but I think it is such an intriguing prospect for like a 1991 Bond, which is a... You know, that early 90s, 91 and 93. Think mm. of the, the, the action films that were coming out at that time. If you, I mean, I'd have, if you could have kept John Glenn for those as well, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Who knows what would happen with them and the baddies they could have had. Living, living Day, that's absolutely right. And Necros, that end fight on the plane, it's, the stunt work is it's just insane, isn't it? And it Again, it, sh- it showcases Tim because you think, you do genuinely think, how on earth is he going to beat this guy? Because he's just, like you say, fit as a fiddle, isn't he? He's so lethal. They're on the back of a plane, for goodness sake. <laughs> it, it it still takes my breath away when I see that scene. I, I don't know, care how many times I've seen it, but is that amazing to watch still for you, Charlie? Oh, it is absolutely. And and what was the? Uh, I, I remember an anecdote they were saying that the sort of the final stages when when Bond is on the the cargo net by himself, and and most of the, you know, the most of the bags of opium are gone or yeah. whatever. That that it started that rhythmic flopping. That 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 actually wasn't. They weren't counting on that that was a surprise to them that that was happening and so it was this this sort of uh, unexpected aspect to it and you know it, having having heard that and seeing it you know seeing it again yeah it's just an amazing scene i think that that motion you're on about yeah it, you can see the long shots from the stuntmen what i think one of the head the head nearly collided with the back you know it could have been killed easily <laughs> and i think they had to sort of just there's so many takes where they just said, nope, and just jumped off and used the parachutes because it was getting ridiculous. But you're right, they incorporated that in, didn't they? And that's how Bond almost, that's how he gets back in, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then the thing gets caught up. But there are so many scenes in The Living Daylights which showcase Dalton. And again, another guy we spoke to, Saunders, of course, Thomas Wheatley. I mean, his character is jolly underrated, but their relationship's fascinating because Bond is being really prickly with him to start with. But that final scene when he dies, it, it's so well done, everything about it. You know, you've got the little bit of, I don't know, acknowledgement from Bond that actually this is a good guy and he and he thanks him, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And then just to see him smile and leave, it's so harrowing. And that reaction from Dalton. Where's Whitcanal? At his place in Tangier. Well done. Good luck. Uh, Saunders. Thanks. I don't think we've seen anything like that before, had we? That sort of real outpouring of emotion, Sam, that's just phenomenal acting, isn't it? Yeah, there's been many times in the series up to that point where you know, there were the sacrificial lamb and usually yeah. usually it's done for the right reasons and sometimes it's done for the wrong reasons. Sometimes it's just, just for the shock yeah. value off whatever else. In this case, it's absolutely one of the best uses of it because you need to get Bond not back on track, but you kind of need to get him to remember what this is all about and the damage of, of this continuing on as is, what that could do. Saunders is just a pawn to, to you know, net cross at the end, which is, which is pretty crap. Uh, awful, <laughs> awful for sure. But 
you know, it makes Bond reevaluate right his mission uh, because yeah. clearly he thinks it's going one way. He's just had this, you know, romantic evening with Kara, uh, kind of thinking, oh yeah, everything's like kind of going our way. That's good. But you've just seen his face, just how angry he is, and just seeing those words on that balloon, like you know, you've seen his actions oh. right after where he could have you know, shot a mother and child, you know, the lovely things you do. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's one of those things where you just kind of go, you know, that that was brilliant. And with another actor, with, with Sam Neill, with Brosnan, with whoever else, it might not have worked. I think in this, it does work. But then, you know, you, fo- you follow that up with some fantastic scenes and then his ultimate, you know, betrayal, the betrayal by Kara and all of that. And yeah, I, it is just fantastic. Like, I, I, he is... I think the best trained actor, you know, to become Bond. I mean, everyone knows about his background and I think it takes someone with a lot of, you know, thoughtfulness to kind of look at a role that he's potentially being offered in 1969, 68 and just saying, you know what, I'm not, that's, I'm not yeah. right for this or whatever. And this won't be right for me to do. And I appreciate that he wasn't just like, oh yeah, I'll go into this because by this point it's a 22, you know, 23, year-old franchise and you've got to be a bit skeptical of something where potentially the best has already happened but i think what i adore about tim dalton is that i think he likes to change perceptions and to really put his all into it you see that in the performances that he does and he can flick from you know being one of the funniest characters to being someone who's so serious and so maniacal yeah i've got no complaints with him and i think it's just a shame that we didn't get more not Roger Moore, but, yeah. but more. I mean, I would have more of Roger Moore and more of, <laughs> more of Tim Dalton. More of them all. Yeah. It would have been a big thing because Roger was so well-loved, wasn't he? To, just to have someone new. And because he only did two and, you know, they, they, well, License to Kill wasn't as big a success as they hoped. He had been forgotten for a while as a sort of a bit of an outlier like George. You only just have to go on Bond Twitter every day and he's he's just praised all the time. So I, I do hope he knows that. I'd love to, We'd love to tell him, wouldn't we? one day <laughs> uh okay. just how well loved he is the average person in the street though i don't think they would have an awful lot to say about tim dalton as bond you know in, in partridge you know lynn is that the welsh one are those the welsh ones <laughs> he didn't play it as a welshman lynn <laughs> he didn't say jones the bond <laughs> yeah know. It, no it's that- true yeah i mean i i think about when i was a kid and what was being shown on TV, whatever else. And, you know, Dalton and Lazenby just were not shown as much, whether it was the films that were being played at that point or, you know, oh, this, 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 you know, card game, you don't see their pictures straight away or it's, or they, they don't have a lot of screen time. Same as in the trailers, you know, for the videos and whatnot, you know, Connery and Moore and Brosnan got the most airtime. I couldn't stand they've they've done they had done more of the films, but I think at that point it's like you go for what the public knows, and the public knows. I would say when I was a kid, it's Connery's Bond, Moore is Bond, and Brosnan is Bond, yeah. and that's yeah. that's what it felt like. And I think that's why it took me a bit of a longer time to get to Dalton and to actually kind of appreciate his work. Whereas Lazenby, it was more easy because it was just one, and it was so. I think sixties films just have a certain other way of look and feel about them. Because like Roger, well, Sean and main, more so Roger, they were Bond in between the films, you know, whenever they were on a chat show or made a public appearance, it was like, oh, it's Bond. Whereas Tim d- didn't want to do those kind of appearances. And I think after Life's to Kill, 
I, I'm not sure. Did he ever appear in an interview still as James Bond? Because he was still Bond technically for another, what, three or four years after that? And I remember, wait, I was a young lad then. He was still my Bond technically. It was only when we found out that, well, we, did, we were worried, of course, that they were going to, that was it. There wasn't going to be any more Bond films. And f- a five-year gap now is, isn't much, is it? But, but sorry, six-year gap. But mm-hmm. then that was absolutely enormous and it was depressing. And you, you're almost, the 30th anniversary came and went in 92 with no new Bond on the horizon. I suppose that leads us next into to Pierce because it, it all worked out brilliantly. And we were very sad that Tim didn't get to do 91 and 93. And to have, he deserves to have four films, doesn't he? like Pierce had and Daniel got five. In terms of when Living Daylights came out, though, Roger said he didn't want to watch it because he didn't want to... He was worried if he didn't like it, he'd, he wouldn't have anything positive to say about it. But I think he, ha- he has said he, he rates Tim since. Conversely, Sam Neill thought he did really well. Uh, he thought Dalton did really well and he was a good choice. But he didn't watch it at the time because he was just still a bit hurt about this. Sean Connery was a big fan of Dalton and he, he endorsed him as did Desmond Llewellyn. And weirdly, their scenes together are excellent. You wouldn't have thought, you wouldn't have picked those two, would you, on on paper perhaps, but the sort of great uncle, particularly License to Kill, it just, it's done brilliantly. If you're enjoying Really Double of Seven Port, why not follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Look us up at Really Double of Seven Port. It'll scare the living daylights out of you. Eventually, all the legal wrangles, we won't go into all those tonight, but Pierce Brosnan finally got the role, and he was unveiled 8th of June, 94, at the Regent Palace Hotel at a press conference. And he had a beard, didn't he, like George Lazenby, which was uh, it's quite an interesting... <laughs> you know, There'd been a few names again, apparently, Mel Gibson again, Hugh Grant, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, perhaps, out of those, would have been the most suitable. Yes. Wouldn't I, lo- um, I would love to see that alternative universe, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> very tall isn't it but and 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 of course irish so that would have been apparently he said his then wife natasha richardson wouldn't marry him if he accepted the role <laughs> so that was a yeah but yes oh ray fines as well ray fines mm. of course and it was great to see him come into the franchise as m i think again i think he would have been terrific he would have been a great baddie i mean we've seen him as a nasty individual in schindler's list and other films so he would have nasty. been great yeah <laughs> very good <laughs> <laughs> Very good. But we know we, we said it must have been devastating for Pierce. For us fans, it was right that Dalton got it, I think, for Living Daylights. And by the time Goldeneye comes along, Pierce is just is absolutely perfect for me. And the way he looks in that film, the way he acts, I don't remember anyone at the time saying anything bad about him. No one. Everyone completely accepted him as James Bond and loved it. So when you see a lot of the Brosnan hate these days... When the films were out, there was none of it. He was universally popular. And we've also said before that Tim wasn't really making many public appearances. Well, here, like Sam said, you've got you had adverts with him in. We've seen that one with, uh, what's her name in? Uh, it was on Twitter recently. Christina Hendricks, oh, yeah. 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 But you had the games. He was just ubiquitous, wasn't he? So he packed so much into those seven years that it felt like he was Bond for a heck of a lot longer. Goldeneye, guys, yeah. Charlie, can you remember this one? Can you remember Pierce being announced as Bond? 
Yes, yeah, yeah. That, that, that one I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it was after, particularly because it was after a six-year drought. Yeah. Um, I was really, really hyped up for the film. I was really, really excited, you know, that there was going to be a, another Bond movie back in the theaters. And kind of in the same way that the transition from Dr. No to From Russia With Love, From Russia With Love feels more like a Bond movie to me than Dr. No, mainly because of the musical score where John Barry, it was the first one that had like, sort of a unifying uh, field of the music and and the sort of light motifs that, that that became associated with characters and it was it was the first one that had a really unifying feel I think the um, Daniel Kleinman's um, uh, opening titles for golden eye uh, and I, I know that I know that the music the Eric Sarah score is much derided but I actually really like it and yes. and it, in a way in a way because it because it had such a distinctive feel to it, there were so many things about Golden and I that felt new and different, and yeah. and uh, and and I think I think they all united to make it um, just a really great you know first film for Brosnan, and I and I think he's um to me he's like the most consistent across his films. I mean the films themselves uh, die another day for me being sort of an outlier just because it, there is so much sort of fantastical stuff you know written into the script, but I think Pierce Brosnan's performance is just really spot on throughout his tenure and I think I think the way the film was was scripted felt like it was written just for him for his own style for his 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 way of acting and um, you know again like uh, Sam you mentioned the magic carpet you know right in in living daylights I mean there yes thank heavens it didn't get into the film because I could I could see Roger doing it but definitely not not Dalton but um but but I felt that they really tailored the script so beautifully for for Pierce Brosnan's yeah. style uh, that that it just it just felt right from the very beginning. So, did you know much about him before? Had you seen him in anything? The only film I saw, with him, <laughs> I hadn't <laughs> seen Remington Steel. I never watched that show. He was really amazing in the Fourth Protocol, um, yeah. where he he played a Russian spy. And also, I know this is maybe kind of a weird tangent, but I I found that movie to be really emotionally involving, partly because of Pierce Brosnan's just really sort of flinty. <laughs> performance is that is that so he was a soviet spy if, if memory serves in the film but there's also that scene in the car park where he he's trying to get i think he's trying to get like a, a find a lookalike to get his passport photo or something like that but he lures this man out into the car park with like promises of sex and then there's this kind of you know this sort of the start of this intimate scene and then he just brutally kills the guy and so, <laughs> so there was like this sort of, you know, this homoerotic frisson associated with with that film and with for me with with the actor and I weirdly that kind of sort of set the stage for my appreciation of Pierce Brosnan and the role. Yeah, for what that's worth. That that was I think that was the only thing I'd seen him in prior to yeah. his being Bond. He had those couple of Alistair McLean films which were almost like Bond practice films, weren't they? But I may, I think I only saw them after he was after maybe ninety five, so there was Night Train and there was Death Wish, and they were they were they were always on like on BBC One late night Saturday night after the football, and we always used to watch them. And I mean, they're a bit naff in terms of some of the production values and the music and everything. You could tell this guy is sort of better than this material. This guy is a proper movie star, action hero. Again, like I said, no one had any doubt in their minds that this guy is the right man in ninety four to be announced as Bond. Well, Sam, you, yeah. you want to watch the Fourth Protocol now, don't you? I actually do. I do. I, I, I've heard of it, but very, but very little. So it's I quite. Think, 
Michael Caine in it as well. Michael, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think Joanna Cassidy's in it, and I love her. Right. Yeah, she's in it. Um, Ned Beatty's in it. Who's been in so much stuff? So yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, go watch Fourth Protocol, apparently. But no, I think with Goldeneye, it's another one of those milestone moments where you kind of need to get it right. It can't really be an okay film. It needs to kind of knock it out of the, of the park because uh, it's kind of getting Bond to the end of the century. Like, can you? Can we get? Can we make it? It feels like you know. Sometimes a break does really good. I think it was good for the series. I mean, bad timing for for Dalton's Bond and for that run, of course. But as a whole, to keep the series going, who knows what would have happened had that break not happened? You know, another one of those what ifs. But you know, I think it needed a refresh, and you can you can feel it. Everything that you see feels modern. You know, I. I've, I've said it before and I, I put Brosnan's era as kind of like modern Bond. I call like Craig's era like like postmodern Bond or whatever. Yeah. And never before Brosnan's classic Bond for me. Whereas, you know, Pierce's films just seem to be very much in the middle of both. They kind of straddling both <laughs> both sides because it feels very much like films that could happen, be made today just with some updated things in there. But most of what's in there kind of fits to current times. It feels more so than any other. You know, I feel like Craig's films are probably a bit more dated uh, for me. Um, yeah, 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 but Brosnan's, I feel like, despite some tech, stand the uh, yeah. stand the strength of time. But Goldeneye's fantastic on every single level for me. I think Brosnan's perfect in it. You know, we t- I think we've said bef- before about the about the first films for these actors, and all of them are, are good. No one has a bad performance. No one let lets down a film or. The film is never so bad. It's like, oh, well, that was a shaky start. And I think he was probably ready having all of those years to kind of think, oh, this isn't happening, suddenly having it happen. You've got to kind of go into that with a positive attitude of, if this happens, I can do anything. You would never know where this can go. Clearly, it goes by jumping off a dam at the beginning, which is one of the most iconic shots in Bond. Maybe, you know, sticking your head down from a toilet bathroom ceiling is... Also iconic for different reasons, but I love it. And it's like, okay, it, it gives you a sense of who his Bond is immediately with a quip as his first line and knocking some guy some guy out who's reading a newspaper. But no, yeah, Tom, when we said about the about what it does, about the advertisement, the kind of the rush of things coming out about Bond, whether it's, you know, things to do for kids or more things for adults or just anything to kind of showcase Bond, I feel like it's because of this film and this film's success you wouldn't have had all that opportunity otherwise. And then it opens it up to a brand new audience. And yeah, I, 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 I agree with Charlie. Eric Serra's score for me is quite good, underrated. I think I understand why people don't like it, but I think it makes this film unique. The other thing I say about Goldeneye in particular, rather than just his whole uh, for the whole four films is that Goldeneye feels like it could have just been taken lifted out and it could have just been in its own film and it would have been fine. The look of it looks different than Someone Ever Dies in the World Is Not Enough, which to me seemed very similar. I don't know whether it's the way Martin Campbell is, you know, having this film shot or anything, but just the look of that mixed with how Brosnan looks, with how MI6 is, with what you know, see what locations are used with the score. Everything to me kind of matches up to kind of feel this could have been its own film, kind of like how people say like Casino Royale could have just have been a standalone. Yeah. And it's just feels very much 
I say it's timeless, but it also feels very much of its time, which you know absolutely doesn't make sense. But <laughs> but to me, it's, no, no. but to me, but to me, it's true. You know, you it, you go, okay, that's a film from 1995, but then you go, that's one of the best films ever, <laughs> and it's um, it's understandable why people hold Goldeneye in such high regard, and that for many, it's kind of the more modern day Goldfinger because it does do everything everything you would want out of a Bond film, and especially for general audiences, which to the producers is the most important thing is to cater to their needs more than the hardcore fans uh, like us, uh, because they're more few than uh, than large compared to the masses. Just amazing, amazing film. I would think I was 12, 13 when it came out. We were obsessed with Bond, and I was in the same class as Rob. When we were able to watch it at the cinema, because we were just, I think we just turned 12. It was absolutely perfect. And, you know, we couldn't have been more obsessed with Bond. But up until then, it was probably only us in the class who were real Bond fans. But when that came out, because everybody else was 12, they all sort of fell in love with Bond at the same time. And it was such a popular film in our school year. And then the next year or the year after, we had the game. And it's just it's just like a double header of, of greatness for, for James Bond. And I think, did, Sam, did you... The first Bond film you saw at the cinema was Dying of the Day. When did you actually, what? or was it? Was it was Casino. No, it was Casino. Was I, it, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't see first, any. Which was the first Brosnan you saw then? It, it was Golden. Uh, it probably was Golden. I saw bits of yeah. Golden Eye on the TV. I feel like it might have been the premiere of it on ITV, maybe. Like I was, I was really young, but I remember seeing, I remember the pre title sequence up until the Xenia Admiral <laughs> scene um, in bed where that was when it was a family party and it was on. And then when that scene came on, I was like, no, and walked out. I must have only been about maybe like four or something. Like I was really young and everything up until that point, I was like, oh, great. And when you're really little and you see a Ferrari and I had, I had you know, toy Ferrari cars, you see yeah. that with an Aston Martin, which you'd which I'd seen from the film Goldfinger because I had that on video. There was some weird connections there and it was so I was really into it, but then I didn't see the whole thing for, for I think about at least four, five years later. And then after that I probably did see bits of Someone Ever Dies in the Water's not enough on TV and then I'd seen bits of Dying of a Day, but I never saw like a full Brosnan film. It again was more the games at that point that I was playing more than seeing his films but it never felt like oh this is i can't watch these it was just i think again because the games were there and i had the videos of the bonds that i had and that was fine for me at the time but i think as soon as you kind of dive deeper a little bit and i think that was once revenge of the sith had come out and star wars was kind of done because that was my obsession that was the number one obsession so i so i had a gap in my uh in my calendar, in my schedule as a ten-year-old, it's like, well, what can I, what can I turn to now? And it's like, oh, great, there's a, uh, there's twenty films, four of which I've seen and I've and partially seen others. Let's just do that. So, but Brosnan was Bond. That that was the case. And when two thousand four, two thousand five, to me, he was still Bond up until it was said, oh yeah, Craig's Bond. And it's like, okay, that's random. I just got everything or nothing months before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think he definitely hard done by, and it's not. A fair, I don't think it's very fair, but at the same time, as with the break between License to Kill and Goldeneye, sometimes things need to change and yeah. things have to happen for something to survive. So I can understand their point of view, but I think when when someone truly appreciates a role and a character, you kind of don't like it when they get screwed over. The more you hear about it, that he suggested 
a much more gritty Bond, the next film. I think he did mention he'd like to tackle Casino Royale, and obviously the rights were Hmm. forever connected to that. I don't know whether they would have been ready by 2004. It was all sort of just going away from him, and we'll we'll get on to that when when Daniel is cast. But Charlie, in terms of the performance from Pierce, it's a pretty... It's a pretty assured one, isn't it? He doesn't look nervous. He gets stuck into the action. He's extremely likable. He does the quips, and he's he's great with the ladies. So it's a pretty much perfect performance for me. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about the sort of what they what they show. You know, Roger Moore's debut was was pretty quiet. That he's just waking yeah. up and you know waking up in bed. Um, but both with both with Dalton and Brosnan, mainly in the pre-title sequence, and then and then you know scenes earlier in the film you see Brosnan and you know this amazing stunt is which is the very first thing you see this amazing action sequence at several you know at, at uh, the our, the chemical weapons facility place you know then you see you have this wonderful casino scene which is very Bondian and so so it's like both both with Dalton and Brosnan I think they were they were piling on all of these iconic Bond sort of situations uh, as if to say, and because I, I, I was thinking about it with respect to like Lazenby's intro, and for for both Dalton and Brosnan, it's like this always happens to this fellow. Yeah, that's it's, yeah. that's like, that's what they were trying to say in the first like ten minutes of each of those films, just laying it on thick, you know. And Sam, something you said about this with, that that it would work as a standalone film, I totally agree with. But during this this last watch, um, I was struck by how many uh, elements in the script harken back to. Earlier, earlier in Bond's career, uh, you know, because he's he's being evaluated by the the the, the, the woman who's you know sent out to you know sent out to <laughs> you know evaluate his performance in the field, and you know there's the 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 fact that the whole pre-title sequence is a flashback to a to a yeah. theoretical earlier part of his career. Then there's the the quote from um, Trevelyan. He says, you know, that I can't remember the exact words, but he refers back to all the men that you've killed and all the women that you failed to protect, and so. I think there was a strong desire on the part of the script marker, the script writers to 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 relate his character to yeah. to from earlier in his career, but without specific references. I mean, I think a reference to Tracy would no longer have worked just because of the amount of time that had elapsed, yeah. you know, since nineteen sixty nine. It would I'm not a fan of timelines per se, but I can understand uh how how they wouldn't have done that. But yeah, he's he's so assured in the role. And I said earlier that that I for me, I think Dalton is my is really maybe the best at pulling together all of the all of the t- d- different elements of the character, but but if if it's not a tie, I mean Brosnan is a close second because he does all of that so well. All of the you know the, the the action, his look, his the relationships that he has with the other characters, he does all of it so well and did and did all of it so well through all four of his films. And he's another one who really is loved in the Bond community, especially by my age and below. Definitely the the bond that they grew up with. We never saw Tim in the cinema or Roger. I think it was a momentous thing to have a James Bond when you're growing up and you could watch the films. Daniel's films were a bit more adult, maybe. You know, the first... I know they weren't 15s, but they were getting there. Well, Licence to Kill, that was another reason we could <laughs> yeah. That. But yeah, he, he's a very accessible bond, isn't he? And your friends loved him and everyone didn't have a bad word to say about him. Yeah, and I think I think some people forget about how much kind of like good one-to-one, you know, dialogue scenes he has. I mean, yeah. like I just think out of the top of my head. I mean, he has that conversation with Alec. He has a, uh, you know, his uh, the his first real big conversation with Judy Dench's M, which you know everyone yeah. loves and remembers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
his, his banter with Moneypenny, which is one of my favorite scenes from the film. Yeah, that's um, a great scene. Good evening, Moneypenny. Good evening, James. And we'll meet you in the Situation Room. I'm to take you straight in. Mm. I've never seen you after hours, Moneypenny. Lovely. Thank you, James. Out on some kind of professional assignment, dressing the kill? You know you'll find this crushing, 007. When I don't sit at home every night praying for some international incident, so I can run down here all dressed up to impress James Bond. I was on a date, if you must know, with a gentleman. We went to the theatre together. Oh, money, Penny. I'm devastated. What would I ever do without you? As far as I can remember, James, you've never had me. Hope springs eternal. You know, this sort of behaviour could qualify as sexual harassment. Really? What's the penalty for that? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Someday you have to make good on your innuendos. The casino with Xenia, you know, with at yeah. least with almost every single one, Natalia, of course, as well. With everyone of these characters, he gets to have some real good interaction. I think that makes the character of Bond a bit more whole because it it feels like he's kind of like you kind of ticking everyone off in a good or bad way, whatever. But it it works, and it, it there's a lot of that which then balances out the humor and the action that's going on, which there's also quite a lot of, maybe not super excessive with the humor but he does it in such a smooth way i think with brosden i think one of his main one of his main things is is his charm he's got it and he uses it whether it's with a woman whether it's talking back to someone it's he doesn't lose his cool all the time but when he does i feel like that's when it's i I see more dalton than anyone else because i feel like connery and more very seldom few you know lost (laughs) <laughs> lost their calm. Yeah, yeah, Whereas, yeah. you know, we just said about Dalton in Living Daylights, when he's angry, he's angry. And I feel like you get that with Brosnan and maybe he doesn't unleash fully, but you see glimpses of that. Pre-time sequence when he thinks that 006 is shot. Mm, it's his face. face. <laughs> yeah. It's really effective that without any lines like, oh no, or, you know, it's not it's not yeah. on the nose, is it? It's a really good piece of acting. And and it's and it's like that throughout the rest of his run as as well. I mean, you know, I I think of you know when he finds Paris in Tomorrow Never Dies, yeah. and then how he is with Doctor Kaufman. He's not letting this guy go at all. Yeah, I I think he is underrated in his acting ability. I think people just think of Brozzy's pain face and a couple of weirdly yeah. inflected lines, which yes <laughs> are weird, 
Um, and no one's denying that. No one denies that he's got some weird pain face from time to time. But <laughs> for me, it doesn't take over an entire thing. No one's run should be took over by one wrong, yeah. th- wrong, wrong thing. And wrong is not the right word. But for some no. people, that is what they would say. But it's a questionable choice. One that some people love, some people, some that people don't. Absolutely fair. All opinions are, are fair on it, of course. But no, I think his his performance in GoldenEye is, is fantastic and. I can't say it could be it could be his best performance, but I think there's things in Someone Never Dies in the World isn't enough that really level up as well. I think, like Charles said, um, his performance is consistent. I think Dying of a Day is a little bit iffy there, but I, I I do feel like that's more scripts than anything else. Whereas I think this the the three films are, are very consistent for me and are all very enjoyable. And for me, it's a shame that he went out on Dying of a Day. And I know there's a lot of Dying of a Day out defenders out there. And I love you all, but, um, <laughs> but it's, one of them. I think it's awful. But I enjoy it. I, but I, I enjoy I it. I watched it at the cinema last year, Sam, so I know your feeling. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's it's enjoyable. That's the thing. It's, yeah. not, it's, not, it's not quantum. So, I mean, I'll give it that. I find Die Another Day really, really enjoyable. And actually it's gone up in my, it's gone up in my, uh, my estimation. And I think one of the things that, that when I think about Pierce Brosnan, well, his delivery of the word, the line, mojito, or, or however <laughs> oh, he says it, is, that's a bit weird. But, um, but oh, yeah. the, the fact that so, so much of the, the, the dialogue and the banter was so over the top, you know, like his, this, this sort of salacious quips that he has, you know, and, and, but, but the thing, the thing about it is, is that he's totally believable in it. They don't come across to me as, as like, uh, you know, missteps or anything. I mean, he just, he's just really invested in the role and he delivers all those lines and he, he does it better than anybody else could. Uh, and he makes, he makes those really dodgy lines work really well in the context of the film. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot to work with, doesn't he? You know, these are very different. I know Dalton's got very personal, but th- these are all quite personal stories to him, you know, especially the world is not enough, the Electra relationship, and then M, of course, being captured. And even, you know, the pre-title sequence, and the, well, is it just after that, isn't it, when he's captured in Dying of the Day? We haven't mm-hmm. seen this before. It's getting a little bit more, the torture will continue, obviously, in Casino Royale, but he does, he does have a lot of acting in inverted commas to do, and it does start in GoldenEye with the the personal collection connection to Trevelyan. Yeah, no, it, it is great, and I think people sometimes just forget about those particular parts of the stories because it is it's it's Alec, it's Paris, it's Electra and M, and then mm-hmm. it's Dino Days, his life, his you know however long I can't remember that he was in prison for who betrayed yeah, him which which feels like that should have been more of a more of the main thing of dying of a day rather than what happened i think that's yeah. a more interesting story about who like rather than it feels kind of like oh that's that's it was revealed to be miranda and then that's it and i feel like that that's more of you've been imprisoned in a in a north korean jail yeah. for, for two years however long it is like and then it's like okay miranda did it and then it's like okay, let's stop, let's stop, let's stop, Icarus. Come on. Uh, <laughs> well, and just and also that that uh, you know if if his Miranda's betrayal of him, if that's the emotional part of the film, it he he's not the one who eventually confronts her. You know, he's he's fighting RoboCop while while uh, <laughs> you know while <laughs> yeah, so while Jinx is you know. So so in in a way, that was kind of a disconnect for me as well because mm. it just seemed. Yeah. 
it seemed like it wasn't following through, Sam, as you say, on that theme of betrayal. So it just seemed kind of a cheat by the end of the film. But but uh, no, but what you but Sam, what you said about like that that there's these characters with whom he has this really strong, you know, emotional relationship uh, in each of the films. You know, uh, you know, Alec, Harris, Electra. Yeah, that that really that really rings true. And and they're and they're very different. They're very different kinds of emotional stories throughout, which I thought was really which provided a nice variety among his films as opposed to just simply going rogue in every film. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. why I would, I would call it like the modern bond because it's doing different things, but it's not straying so far from the formula that it, it, it becomes unrecognizable. It does it in a very, it for me still, still feels modern and it's, and it's just the mid to late nineties. And I think that's why for me, those films are standing the test of time a bit stronger than some of the others. Even though I watch them all, I love them all. Even if I don't, particular like them that much so so yeah um bros love is real too not just bros hate yes what a lovely lovely thing to say some about pierce yeah and it was it was sad to see him go and, it, and it, i remember it happening and he is still the only bond really who's been who wanted to stay and who was forced out i remember if you see the 40th anniversary bafta sort of celebration which was in 2002 and of course dying of the day it was sort of a tie-in with that it was like, yeah, I'm signed up. I think he said I'm signed up for two more, so I can't wait to get going. And you do feel sorry for him, and particularly as I think they offered it to him, but then MGM told Barbara and Michael to sort of, can you actually go back to him and say no? And they had to have this painful conversation. And he's very honest about it, isn't he? He's very game, and he, he obviously probably didn't speak to them for a while, but he's not sort of fallen out with them, and he's still, you know, he's still happy to be part of the Bond franchise. He's still very proud of it. I mean, I've, I've not said this before, but often in sport, if a manager is sacked, they've always, coincidentally, they've got a replacement ready straight away. Mm. And you think, oh, right, you, you've tried to get this person before, you've sat the other one, and you were just trying to find the right time. With Bond, they've never done that, have they? They've always, and with Daniel Craig, they didn't do it. It's not like, oh, we've got this guy in mind, we don't want you. They were like, no, we want to go in a different direction. We'll need a bit of a breather to work out what we're doing. And then we'll cast the next Bond based on that, which is the right way to do it and is what we're led to believe they're doing now as we speak with the, the seventh Bond. Hi, I'm Star Parodi. And I'm Jeff Fair. And we're the creators of the music for the Bond GoldenEye teaser trailer, the Parodi Fair version. And you are listening to the amazing Really 007. So yeah, apparently though, over 200 names were in the frame for the Bond in Casino Royale. One of them was Goran Viznik, who was in ER, who mm. is actually in the in the new Hellraiser film, which I saw recently. But apparently it was the accents that, that did for him. He's uh, Croatian. But he, lo- he looks the part. He still looks the part. He would have been a good Bond, I think. Carl Urban had a screen test, but he couldn't make it due to film commitments. So I, can't, I can't see that myself. Sam Worthington, who I've just loved again in Avatar. Go and watch it, everybody. Some, some other names, I mean, like Ewan McGregor, I can't see. I, I love him dearly, of course, for Star Wars and all that. But and Julian McMahon, everyone remember him? Yes, he was. He, 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 he charmed. It was the Australian. Yeah, it was, yeah. he was in. He was the baddie in Fantastic Four. The you know the the, the good ones with yeah. Young Griffin. Yeah. yeah. Was he in? Was he in? Oh, was it Nip Tuck or that's it, Nip Tuck? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's Australian, but he he's he may have been a bit small, but he looked very sort of dashing and he looked quite bond but anyway and rupert friend again someone who's never quite 
who's always been in the frame, you know, I, I would say would be a decent fit. Rufus Sewell as well is another one who I'd have loved to see as Bond. Rufus great. Sewell is great. Cold Rufus, yeah. I don't know whether he, I think it must have been at this time that he was considered, but I remember seeing an article in the Times, you know, they had odds for each actor. And that's when Colin Salmon was actually, you know, he, he was, but it would have been weird if, you know, he just played another role and then immediately he's Bond in the next one, as much as I love him. It would have been a bit jarring, perhaps. But yeah, Rufus Sewell is, oh, absolutely love the guy. Dougray Scott, who was the baddie in Mission Impossible 2. And of course, they did, they were thinking of, they were trying to get John Woo for Dying of the Day. So it was all, it was that kind of, that era of, that MTV editing era of cinema. But they wanted to do something completely different, didn't they, for Casino Rail? Eventually, they chose Daniel Craig. It would be a bit silly to say he was unknown. He'd been in some really important television programs and some very well respected films at the time, but he wasn't like a name. He wasn't sort of, you know, we're talking about the next Bond now and, you, and you, you see Henry Cavill or someone like that. He's a name already, isn't he? I'm trying to think of somebody now who isn't... It's difficult now because they, everyone gets so bigged up for years because we've got this gap that yeah. they become a name even though perhaps they haven't done an awful lot. Like Reggie Jean Page, you know, he's give him chance he's only been in two or three things, but he's been talked about so much that he is now, oh, no, he's too famous. You know, he's too yeah, famous. I, I think there's also like a... There's a definitely regional slash international thing as well because there's certain names that we in the uk would say but then someone from america charlie wouldn't know them potentially because they've only been been in british dramas or something so for us it might say oh well they're not they're not unknown but on a wider global scale they they are they are unknown they've not been leads in massive you know hollywood productions or anything like that you know i think my kind of like modern day equivalent would be kind of like an more closer to Roger Moore, maybe, but like an like an Aidan Turner who has done yeah. lots of things is is a, we know is a good actor, but hasn't gone to that next level. And for me, could could potentially be one of those to get there. Normally, in a big franchise, you might think, right, we've got a lot riding on this. We need we can't risk an unknown actor. But with Bond, you've got the luxury of the franchise is massive. People will go and watch it, whatever. So we can spend more time getting the right person rather than who's who's making a lot of money at the moment. Let's let's get them in in the title role, even if they're not right for it. So so yeah, Daniel Craig was chosen with it. He I, I think he did it originally a bit like some of the others that he was a bit skeptical at the start because he wasn't keen on where the series was going. The producers weren't either, and so he when he read the scripts. And he read all the Fleming novels, a bit like Dalton. That's when he thought, right, I've got somewhere now. I've got a new angle to go for this that, that will be his take. And he'd actually just been in Munich, the film, the Steven Spielberg film, where he was a Mossad agent. So I think he was, he'd spoken to British secret agents in preparation for the role. And he was sort of in that frame of mind where, yes, I've got a bit of experience now. And I can, I'll be up for this. Yes? For you. Something you expect me to wear? I need you looking fabulous, so that when you walk up behind me and kiss me on the neck, the players across from me will be thinking about your neckline and not about their cards. Do you think you can do that for me? I'll do my best. Thank you.
I have a dinner jacket. There are dinner jackets and dinner jackets. This is the latter. And I need you looking like a man who belongs at that table. How the... It's tailored. I sized you up the moment we met. Our sort of thoughts on Daniel Craig are a bit famous, but to be fair to Craig, he's the only Bond actor who's had real stick from the start. From when he was cast, he's had it like no one else has had. The Craig Not Bond website, when he went on to that, you know, the first press conference and people have a go in him for wearing a life jacket. I've never seen him look more Bond than in that. He looked class with the, the sunglasses and everything. Mm-hmm. His hair was a bit and he was a bit prickly in the interview, but so was Tim, to be fair, when he was unveiled in Vienna. It got off to a bad start. So he had... I don't know, the producers were probably a little bit worried, weren't they, until until the film came out? Yeah, it, it's difficult because, especially with like an initial press conference, because nothing's been done yet. They've not got a film in the can or anything. Like It's yeah. literally just, oh, I've seen the, I've seen the script. Obviously, I can't give, give anything away. I don't really know how it's going to go down, so I can't really tell you anything. And you say that you see that in a lot of these kind of pre-film things that they've done. Like I remember, like the, that weird interview panel thing before No Time Star yeah. even started properly shooting, and it just is awkward because there's nothing to say. So in, in my yeah. mind, it's like, well, what's the point in doing it? Um, it's not like when an artist has announced a tour and they're going to answer, ask, you know, answer questions. It's there's a it's a different type of thing, but. And a new era of a of a franchise. I think it's difficult to do that. You and you would prefer kind of like a a one to one interview or on like a chat show, you know, where you can kind of talk a bit more about yourself and your past and where you've come from and what you are coming to. So I can absolutely understand, you know, his perspective at that moment. But then all the initial feedback was terrible, and it's the first time you kind of get, you know, I think Brosnan when Brosnan was announced, it was ve- the infancy infancy of what the internet was so only yeah. people who were could get onto it were using it and even then i'm not sure that all of them were going to be talking about james bond whereas this was the point where you know dial-up was starting to go and wi-fi was starting to be used and that was coming on more so so news was being transferred easier but i remember seeing a lot of it was still a time where i was seeing all the newspapers you know helga brand it was in all the newspapers you know, James Bland and James Blonde and, and you know, it's like they based everything off that one introduction and he's not even playing Bond. He's just an actor yeah. doing, a, doing a job. And doing just, job. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's just, it was unfair. In, at the time, I was unsure, but it was the first time I was seeing something like this happen and he didn't look like Bond. And as, an, as a 10-year-old when he got announced, it's kind of like, oh, this is different and I'm not sure about this at all. But then... You do need to give someone the time. You don't. You can't say anything without any context or with any information. I agree, and I th- you know, I would be more negative. But the it, it was it was his look. I think that sort of put me off. And he was a bit smaller. No one really ever mentions that. It's true. Mm. But uh, <laughs> if you're going back to the Fleming, then he's too small, isn't he? But anyway, the thing people often say is that he got judged on before they'd seen him, and then when they seen him. They really liked it, but it—he was judged on his looks. The performance was 
is what put me off. <laughs> no, <laughs> the the performance, the style they went down is is my complaint, not the way it looks particularly. But of course, the general audience and Bond fans, it was the performance that. Well, if they weren't won over, the film was a massive success, and his performance in it got a BAFTA nomination. I mean, that's unheard of for any of the any other Bond films getting any actor nominated, never mind Bond himself. So even though it was awful for him at the time, it really gave them a sort of, ah, oh, we're going to show them here. And they knew, didn't they, when they started filming, I think they knew this is going to be this is going to be a cracker. And with Martin Campbell coming back, do you think Martin Campbell was a big, a big part of this success of Casino Royale? No, I do. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I, uh, I think uh, Martin Campbell and I think also the, the fact that they had, they were using like, actual Fleming material for the first time in, uh, you know, I don't know how many decades, right? Since it would have, it would have really been since 1969, probably that. Oh, since that, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> that, that a good part of the film was actually based yeah. on, yeah. on the story as opposed to just being random, you know, character names lifted from, lifted from it or, you know, the isolated situation. But um, no, I think Martin Campbell was a really big part of why the, why I liked the film so much. Uh, and it, it's definitely one of my, it's one of the ones that I, I, I rarely watch it, but I think it's one of the very best films. It's not a Sunday afternoon Bond film, is it? No, no. I'm more likely to put in Man with a Golden Gun than, than I Oh, am. I am. Much, I much more likely than Casino Royale. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 think it's, I, I think it's a really a really wonderful film. I think it also, to, to what you said, Sam, and you may have mentioned this already, but that it's one of the, it's one of the ones that can, can exist as a standalone Yes, um, where, where you, you don't have to link it to all the other ones and think of it as being part of the Bond universe, you know, to enjoy it as just a really great, great story. Um, I mean, that might be part of the problem, wasn't it? That Because it was so successful, they thought, all oh, right, let's continue immediately after. When they filmed Casino Royale, I don't think they were intending to sort of continue or every film would be Bond struggling and Bond sort of developing like this. You know, I think obviously Sam Menes was like, right, no, we're getting Money Penny, we're getting Q back now, we need to go to to a bit more classic Bond. Who knows whether that was the intention for Casino Royale. It certainly wasn't the intention for Quantum of Solace. And this definitely is a standalone Bond for me. You don't, you don't need to, you know, don't need to see any of the others. And you could see, you can even see No Time to Die pretty much after this. And it would sort of make sense. But yeah, Sam, what you said, it was obviously a bit odd to see this chap as Bond. And what did you think when you saw it at the cinema then? Yes. I mean, I, I kind of envy your childhood a little bit here, Tom, because I mean, you say your first Bond in cinema was GoldenEye and mine was Casino Royale and it's, and that sounds so shady and so terrible. Like I hated Casino Royale. I, I didn't, but again, I was, I was 11 at that point and I had a certain expectation of what James Bond was and, and this wasn't it. So I wasn't displeased, but I wasn't jumping for joy going, Oh my God, wasn't that like the best as, as a film? I appreciate that even from that, age appreciated what it was doing but it was difficult it was difficult to to kind of latch onto it and i think because everything had been so pushed with merch before that and then suddenly that was all gone and there was nothing so there was yeah. no other way as a as a kid to kind of enter the re-enter the franchise again on a per, on a personal level you know i it was a it was a transitionary kind of time for me anyway you know you go from primary school to high school there's new people yeah. in your life you know Outside of that, you know, I was beginning to figure out, you know, my sexuality and stuff. So for me, there was a lot of stuff going on, and then it just felt, oh, bonds changed as well. And it's like, okay, yeah, it's like yeah. here's another here's another thing that's kind of like 
but it, that's not the same but, and I'm enjoying less, which kind of felt like everything <laughs> at that yeah, point. Yeah, so for something that I kind of needed to escape to, it wasn't it. However, I enjoyed it and liked it enough that it wasn't like, oh, no, I'm stepping away from that. If maybe I was, I was a year younger or two, I could have maybe been like, oh, that's absolutely not. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have even been able to go to the cinema. I'm not sure. It, was it a PG or was it a 12A? I think it was a 12A. Yeah, it wasn't easy, but I still talked about it endlessly anyway. Uh, and I think yeah. it would be different if it was a bad film, but it's absolutely one of the best made. And if I'm, it's not in my top 10, I don't watch it very regularly. But for me, it's the best Daniel Craig film. It's his one of his strongest performances. I think everything's so tight. Martin Campbell knows what he's doing and having this kind of refresh attitude that I think everyone must have had to kind of kind of say, let's make a good film. Everyone despite the numbers that Dine of the Day had, rev- reviews were not kind. And a lot of people were like, well, what do you do? And it's you know, very it's very much the Moonraker for your eyes only thing. Where it's like, well, just go, let's just go back to realism. But it, it was taking that to the next level. And it was a new sort of filmmaking, it felt. It felt of the time. And, you know, I've I've said in other, in other places about this post 9-11 filmmaking and what they were trying to do with stories, you couldn't be so bombastic as as the previous Bonds had been, and especially not as how Dino of Day had been. You, and everything was more gritty. All films at that time were going, well, this is the darker side of Bond, and this is the darker side of Batman. I wasn't ready for that change in general in film. I liked my lighter films. I still do. I mean, That's no. <laughs> Batman, and Batman and Robin, The Phantom Menace, Calamity Jane, whatever you want, you know, that, 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 that was kind of what I enjoyed. So it was, it was weird to go in this direction of, as an adult newfound appreciation. And I'm very glad that, you know, that was my first one that I'd seen in the cinema. And I have a lot of good memories, but I, no one can look at, I, I said this about GoldenEye, but no one can look at Casino Royale and go, oh, that's, that's bad. And oh, that's bad. And that was yeah. poor. Like as, as a film, it's, it's done impeccably well. Charlie, did you go into it expecting something quite different to Die of the Day? I mean, you must have done a bit. Yeah, I did. I had seen Daniel Craig in one other film, Road to Perdition, which I oh, think... Oh, yeah, 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 good film. Is that a, is that a Sam Mendes film? Sam Mendes, yeah. And I, I think that's what... That relationship, I think it was Daniel who suggested Sam Mendes because uh, obviously yeah. he knew him from that for Skyfall, yeah. Right, and so I, I just, you know, because that's a... It's a somber film i mean a serious yeah. serious film and 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 i and i guess that's the, i think that was the only thing i'd seen him in prior to casino royale but both from the fact that i mean for me the assumption was that they were going to now that they finally had the the rights to film the novel that they would be you know that they wouldn't squander it by just doing some wacky film using only the title that they would actually you know do a serious treatment of the story which is a very serious story so i was i was expecting it to be to be, um, you know, a grittier, more serious, more serious film, and just also from the sort of the history, of the same as you say, like you know, going Fear Eyes only, following on from you know Moonraker. I mean, that that is sort of sort of an ebb and flow to these things, and just just thinking, well, Die Another Day was really sort of that decade's Moonraker, and yeah, thinking they're probably gonna they're probably gonna do a reset. The plot's very similar as well. Very Fleming. But- yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of Daniel Craig's performance, uh, what, what do you make of it, Charlie? Oh, I thought it, I thought it was great. I thought it was really good, and I know that it was the first. It was the first one, was particularly with the benefit of hindsight, where they were where they were trying to 
really show the to show a um, a growth in the character, or like a change in the character. I mean that he's that he's starting out getting his double O, and then you know showing an evolving relationship with his superiors and with the you know the the institution that he works for. And I thought that was pretty daring, and I thought that they generally did a good job with it within the context of that film. I actually really like Quantum of Solace. It's it's, I mean, it's one of my it's one of my it's one of my favorites. Uh, and and I and as being sort of the first, well, it really is the first direct sequel to to any of the films. And I and I thought that they continued to show an evolution in his character effectively across those those two films. So uh, yeah, I thought his I thought his performance was was very very good because it, it is very different. You know, a lot of it is about his character. Goldeneye we mentioned there's umpteen unbelievable side characters and. You'd think if you have a new Bond now, it's all about Bond, isn't it? It's not about anybody else, really. With Casino Real, it's a proper character study, isn't it? Of, like you say, that there's so much mention of the ego, what a blunt instrument and all this. The relationship with Vesper, particularly, does change the character, doesn't it? And you see that growth. And I think it's quite a Bond thing to do where a villain will be introduced halfway through. A bit like, well, Silver is, isn't he, in Skyfall? Donald Pleasance in You Only Live Twice. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's happened quite a lot through the Bond films. But here, the, the Bond girl, it's like a different film, isn't it, beforehand? When I was watching at the cinema, I was like, oh, this is still very Bond. The first half, it felt very Bond. The love thing, and then the main villain just getting killed by someone else. Those were the bits like, oh, whoa, this is too, I can't, this is too different. I can't compute this right now. Even though I know it's in the book and everything. The more I see them, I, the more I admire them. And I do, I do think watching this again at the cinema in the UK in 2022, that was another formative thing and watching it with my wife who really loved it when you're watching it with someone who's loving it it makes you appreciate it more i think as well if you just treat it as a one-off it is flawless in what it's trying to execute and that's the main thing here and craig i do think it's by far his best performance he's not necessarily the most likable in this one that's because he's a bit younger and more reckless and everything it sets it up nicely doesn't it it sets it up very nicely for the next bond even though i've i didn't like it at the time quantum i absolutely love it now so (laughs) all the bonds they all have something brilliant about them even if you don't like them there's all so much good stuff in them and casino real it regularly comes out as the top doesn't it in people's rankings Mm -hmm. very very it must have been a great bond debut yeah and i think another thing about it which I tend not to kind of go to, but it's 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 how brutal the film is. And I think Craig's yeah. run is brutal anyway, but I think especially with Casino Royale, I mean, there's so much death and so much violence, more so it feels than any other. And, and everything hits harder. Um, everything, you kind of feel everything a bit more. And I think the aim is to just showcase, highlight how awful of a life it is. No matter, you've, we've, you know, grown to kind of, you know, maybe not want it, exactly but you kind of want to kind of live in bond's world a little bit but it's it's not a nice world to live in you know that staircase fight is is just so much and you see from vespa's reaction just how effective that could be for someone who's not trained for that who's not you know into that stuff the whole you know sequence in madagascar that chase sequence is is one of the best chases of the series bond's getting into that he's jumping from cranes and just every time he hits the crane and he lands and it, I feel like his ribs are about to like crack and explode or something with how yeah. hard it hits and just seeing so much blood on Bond which you don't see very often either I appreciate what they were trying to do to to kind of bring this back even though it's not my preferred 
type of, of Bond film, you've got to appreciate what they were going to do. And they did it successfully. And I think that's the main thing. It would have been different if they wanted to do this and it wasn't successful and it wasn't good. And I kind of wish Craig's era was more consistent with this because had there been more films on this level, then I think a lot of people would appreciate it more. But at the set, at the same time, a lot of general audiences absolutely love these films, you know, to death. And, and they've been here for, well, they've been there for 15 years up until no time to die to watch it. And you can see by the, by the numbers that no time to die got in despite the pandemic that people wanted to see another Bond film. Craig is conflicting to me, but I mean, he, he helped keep the franchise going and that's the main thing and get it ready for the next person to take on. You're absolutely right. And it, you know, it was forty year anniversary for Dino of the Day. Twenty years later, it's in a as good a position in, in terms of finances and interest in it. I think you could say it hasn't brought in as many younger fans, the Craig era, but it's brought in loads more of the older fans who maybe have come back to it. My mum and dad started coming back to see Skyfall and you know, the, all the films since then they've been really interested in watching. The box office is weird because it's like it's maybe not done quite as well in America and across the world, the Craigs, but these are like, I think all of them are in the top 50 biggest films ever in Britain. And I think Skyfall and Spectre and No Time to Die are like the top top three of the top five or something rid- ridiculous, you know, ever in Britain. And it's, you know, you can you can try and get that some now, the stat. I will, because I, I, I saw it a few months ago, and so I know, you, yeah. I know you're right. I think, was it The Force Awakens? Was that was that the only one that was t- top? I can't remember now. Uh, it, yes, yeah, so Force Awakens is number one, Skyfall's number yeah. two, and No Time to Die is number three, with Spectre being five. And then the next that's one is incredible. Casino Royale at 22, but still, you know, yeah. in that situation. That's incredible, isn't it, really, to think. It was a massive event when No Time to Die came out, in, in England particularly, because it was the first film that anyone really had seen post-pandemic. It was absolutely packed, I remember. But all of them were. You know, Casino Royale, when it came out, there was a sort of general, from the, the wider audience, a little bit of interest pr- pricked up because it was like, oh, it's a bit different. This might be a bit more like the, the Conneries. I don't know. It might be a bit more like the ones I remember. And you get the Aston Martin coming more and more and you get the sort of Bond drinking and just not not being a sort of action hero who doesn't do anything wrong a vulnerable person and it was all that was filmmaking taste wasn't it in the 2000s and it was the gritty fighting styles of Bourne and it it struck a chord with audiences and I think we've done well you know and we still have a franchise because of that okay we would have liked some more films in between wouldn't we he could have, he's done five. He could have done about seven or eight, couldn't he? If, if he, he could have, he could have done them more. He could have done them more. Yeah. But yeah. But I mean, it's like going to say like we were lucky enough to have the, all the films at the cinemas last year, yeah. and by far the Craig films had the most attendance. You know, with yeah. the, you know, yeah. the, like the other screenings sometimes only had ten people in something insane like that, and most most if not all of the Craig screenings had almost fully booked, which did surprise me and didn't surprise me at the same time because you know a lot of them are so recent compared to the others but it just shows how much of an impact casino royale and the rest of those films made tom you said about wishing that we had more more craig films you know in the in the era because he was you know he was bond for a very long time but not for that many films because they were being produced you know it's such it's such wide intervals but one of my wishes for the Craig era is that we had more standalone adventures, you know, more standalone stories that weren't necessarily connected to 
Yes. Uh, other other stories. And and uh, I, was, I was thinking a line from, I think it's from Hildebrandt Rarity that Milton Crest says it. He's talking about, I think he's talking about the U.S., but I think it could apply to. No, no, of course he wouldn't be because he was he was very chauvinistically American. But I think maybe he was, I can't remember what he was talking about. He was talking about a country progressing from infancy to senility without going through maturity. And in a way, I kind of feel that about Craig's tenure. And then mm. it's like, we're, we're shown an origin story in the first film, but then as soon as the third film, he's already, it's already old dog, new tricks, you know, and, and that we're seeing him at the beginning and the end of his career, but not really experiencing much in the middle. Um, 10 years between nearly 10 years between the one where he's he's meant to be old and past it and his last film he's 10 years older in that mm. <laughs> yeah yeah but again so I, each one it's not the fault of the other isn't it it's because they didn't really they were sort of doing it as they went along and testing the waters because i think 2010 standalone bond film would have all have loved that i think yeah well and i think i think too it's the uh, it's the timing of when the the rights to the intellectual property occurred because you know with specter you know, I think they were yeah. they were sort of setting Quantum up as being Spectre. I mean, it was a Spectre type oh, yeah. organization. You know, this cabal of of secret, you yeah. know, uh, you know, people who were this nefarious plots and everything. And then suddenly, hey, presto, they get the re- they get the rights to do Spectre. They get yeah. the rights to use Blofeld and those characters. And so I think they, in, in my opinion, they kind of sort of clumsily sort of retconned the yeah. the the events of the, the prior films to sort of fit this new thing that they were suddenly able to do and so I, th- I think the timing of that was rather unfortunate in the way that it that it shaped the arc of those of those films so going on to the future then for the next James Bond debut. It's all over the internet every day, isn't it? There's always these articles, these clickbait articles. Oh, so-and-so's been cast, definitely. They've been seen at Pinewood and all this. And at the moment, I'm just at a stage where I'm not going to believe anything until we get an official announcement because it's just pointless. Someone was looking back and they were trying to see from, I think, when Daniel Craig was cast, could they find anything weeks and months before? And there were a couple of newspaper little articles saying they'd been rumoured to have met with people, but it was never it was never massively in the press until it was officially announced. It's far more difficult though now, isn't it? Because I remember seeing pictures of No Time to Die, to die a little girl, and we were like, "Oh well, of course, you know, of course that isn't Bond's kid." And then you find out he does have a. It turned out it was Matilda as a as a girl, so it wasn't really that. And then oh. He, rumours he died and oh no of course not it's so much harder to stop things from leaking now it's really difficult in fact that the best thing that didn't leak was the fans didn't didn't spoil it you know it was that was amazing that for so long it wasn't it was a few was there a few weeks because before it was out in america wasn't there and was that yeah, sort it of, was, yeah, yeah there was there was yeah did, did you not weeks, I think. you didn't have it ruined did you charlie uh oh, not no. by not by anybody outside of the film itself no <laughs> So how did you find? Did you find out before you saw the film that he died? He died. No. Oh, good. All right. Okay. Well, that's good. Right. <laughs> oh dear me. David famously did, didn't he? Dear me. Yeah. Oh yes. Wait. Was, was, was it his uh, an aunt of his? That yeah. Yeah. Oh Bless god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he, he, he waited. He did wait 
to see it because of his tradition of watching it with his whole family yeah. looking at a screen. So he had to endure all of us watching it. And yeah. obviously not us not saying anything directly to him, but I think a lot of people were being respectful. Yeah, um, they were, yeah. On, you know, on social media to try not to say anything because some people weren't going into the cinema straight away. And I think people wanted to know what the what maybe initial reactions were to the film more so than the plot details themselves. So no, it, it makes me happy to know that anyway, that the people can disagree. But I mean, the experience of watching a film for the first time, you're never going to get that back again. So you want to go in in that right mindset. If you know one thing and you're just waiting for that to happen, yeah. And you can't you can't experience everything else that's that you could love about the film. Do you think that has any bearing, Charlie, on the next Bond person? The fact that he's dead, or do you think just forget it, just start again, pretend it didn't happen? <laughs> I hope that's I hope that's what they, that they <laughs> yeah. do. I mean, you know, I, I, I can't imagine what else they might do. Uh, but but uh, I mean, I, I think that for me, the argument is that they were obviously going for this multi-film Craig story arc and that it can be seen to be sort of outside uh, of of the other, you know, the other, uh, what to say, timelines in the series, although there aren't really any other timelines. I mean, it's just it, that it's really sort of the first time that they've uh, done something like that. So I hope continues with that in mind and that they can regard that as like this sort of box set of bond films and that we can you know start with another actor uh and not not have to tie it in or rationalize it with anything that occurred during the craig era and that's my hope and have you got any names in the frame or you'd like to see particularly oh do you know it's like every time that i see a new name in the in the press about who might be the next bond i mean so many times it's like oh no i would actually like this person in the role but now that people are talking about it it's not going to happen yeah and 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 so you know i actually really like aaron Taylor johnson i think he's a really good actor and i think he looks the part i think he's you know a, a a good age you know, to yep. be in the uh, in the series, uh, I think I think of the I think of the actors. You know, sort of the l- latest list that I've seen. I think you know, to me, it, he would make the most sense to to put into the role. I mean, I always really. I, I, oh, I'm sorry. He's not too well known either. He's not. You know. You know. He's on the cusp, isn't he? Almost. Right, and I think I think you know I really like Henry Cavill, but I think that having you know having played Superman and headed up you know a franchise like that, I think that I think that diminishes his chance of you know being being cast in the role. Uh, I think Aiden Turner is another great Sam, as you said, like somebody who's sort of at the right level of public awareness and prominence to to be in the role. I mean, it's like people are aware that he's got really good acting chops, but he hasn't. He's not. He's not indelibly associated with any particular character. Uh, already, he was so good, and and then there were none. That Agatha Christie adaptation. Oh yeah, that was brilliant. Was so good. Yeah, Charles uh, Dance was in it as well, wasn't he? As yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm intrigued by a number of them. I've never seen Regé Jean Page in anything, but you know, I I think. He, from what I hear and from what I see, I think he'd be really good in the role. Yeah, I don't know. I probably Aaron Taylor Johnson, but but now now I'm almost worried that there's too much buzz about him <laughs> for him to be to be in the role. I don't know. But it might be a case of like we said before, they keep saying we need to decide where the character is going first before they cast. Surely they must have done something since that was sent now. And we do hear rumors that that Aaron Taylor Johnson has been to Pinewood. I mean, I don't know whether that's true. But like I say, there's there's usually no smoke without fire when it comes to these things. I mean, how exciting is it going to be now? Just any, anything. You know, like when for No Time to Die, they announced Danny Boyle. I was like, oh my word, this is brilliant. 
not just because he's he's from Bury, where I where I'm from, and because I love his films, but it was just you know an actual actual progress. And heck, this is quite a bold, positive move. When we, I'm not as bothered now about announcing the director and everything because I think I just wish they'd go back to not letting names dictate. And he, I suppose Kerry Fukunaga wasn't, was he? He was. He came in after, although he did have a co-write credit. So you know there is some there is some kind of involvement. But you'd rather it be the. I'd rather it go back to the conveyor belt of the. Even going back to Brosnan's, they kept asking the previous director to continue, didn't they? I think. Like Martin Campbell was asked back for Tomorrow Never Dies. Roger Spottiswood, I think, was asked back. Michael Apted was certainly asked back initially for Dying of the Day. I'd, I'd rather know what direction they're going in and who is Bond and maybe how many films they're contracted to and how many films are you going to do in 10 years? <laughs> Not <two>. Just one. <laughs> no, no, pointless these big anniversaries if there's just been one film since the last one, you know. Goodness yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Sam, who, any, anyone in the frame for you or any direction? Or, oh, I know it's... Uh, it's, it's- it's, it is difficult because I, I hate speculation of things most yeah. of the time anyway, just because it could be anyone and you end up going around in circles, people argue, and ultimately it doesn't amount to anything. It's, you know, I get annoyed when it's like a new Doctor Who, for example, and I'm like, well, actually, that person's not even left the role yet, so maybe like let's... Yeah, I don't uh, like that. And yeah. t- until they're gone, then we can focus on it. Obviously, it, it was, I think, once everyone knew the end of No Time to Die, I think everyone was like, okay, for sure, he's not coming back. So we can actually think about this a bit more now. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I, don't, I, I hate to be the same, but I mean, I was at the Albert Hall when that concert was on, and either David or Anthony, one of them said that Aaron Taylor Johnson had walked past me, like literally. I walked one yeah. way, he walked the other way right past me, and I didn't even notice. And I was like, what? And yeah, I think yeah. so I think for me that's the only kind of like thing that would make you think, oh yeah, he's potentially in the running. But at the same time, there's lots of people who go to Pinewood who could have a callback or whatever like that, and it ultimately doesn't work out. So who knows? But it's it's annoying as well because you see these names and you go, Oh yeah, that that kind of be great. And oh, they'd be great. And you end up thinking of unless you think they're not right at all, your kind of mind works and kind of goes, Oh, well, actually that could work if they do this or if they do that. And you're right, Tom, you know, it, it can depend on what direction they're taking, because they'll get a different kind of answer if they are going to take it in a more kind of Roger Moore-esque or Brosnan type of way, if they're going to, if they're going to go more, if they're going to stick with a more serious route, then they'll get a more serious classically trained answer, I guess. But it's just still so open in the air and potentially a director could help kind of make you go, Oh, well actually based on what this person has done before, like I'd actually be interested if, if they gave films to less experienced directors, not that I want someone who doesn't know how to do stuff, but you kind of want someone who is going to put their own stamp on it, but also really listen and kind of collaborate with, with a job. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of what great experience would it be if you've done some films or you've done some TV and it's okay. Now you're getting this next level and it's a bond film, a part of this new era of what a bond film could be. I I love these fresh takes. And I think you see this a lot in kind of in, in new TV series that are created on streaming platforms and in some films as well like i know i think in some like marvel films now not that i really watch them but i think a lot of them have like maybe some less experienced directors or some that are are very up and coming and i'd be more interested in that rather than you know Mm. someone who's had a 
very illustrious career and he's just kind of like, oh, well, I only do films this kind of way, so I'm going to do that. Obviously, not not every director is like that, for sure, and some will adapt very easy. Um, but I think, you know, some of the Craig films, for me, have kind of been watered down because of how much influence the director has had. And Tom, I know, I know you've spoken about that with the guys a lot. You know, I don't want to kind of dis- discredit the work that they've done because it's a lot of work and, you know, it's a lot of pressure for a director. But if I was a director, I would want my own stamp on something. I wouldn't want it to just be a film that I worked on and isn't, my part of me isn't in it. So I can understand yeah. them really wanting to, but when it's a franchise like this, I think there's a very good balance of your own stamp plus the formula of Bond. And I think though, and that works for a very long time with so many different people, different people behind the scenes, different people in front of the camera and it works. So I think let's try that again. Why not? What could go wrong? It's been 20 odd years since that happened. So until more recently, every Bond films had the same, you know, gun barrel, pre-title sequence, Bond with the ladies, completing the mission, villain, henchman, casinos, action scenes, stunts, that sounds like a lot to fit in if you're coming in with completely fresh eyes, but how much variety have all those Bond films got? And, and yet they've all got those things in them. Mm-hmm. So it, it can be done. I mean, the, the poles apart, aren't they? Moonraker and Doctor No, you know, they completely <laughs> different style of films. And there's, there's ones in between. There's, you know, our favourite John Glenn. He'll, he's got all of them in the same film, hasn't he? From every single sort of tone, he's in the same film. And it somehow works. And I think they've just got to trust the audience a bit that the audience will be with them, certainly this next one. Hmm. Yes, social media is an absolute nightmare. If, it'll be even worse now. If they don't like this Bond, it'll be 10 times worse probably for the for them before they've seen the film. I've already promised to myself that even if it's someone who I probably wouldn't have chosen myself, I'm going to completely back them and just be really positive and look forward to it as a new era and a new set of films, hopefully. And films as well. I know, I know people have talked about it might be nice to have a sort of TV series set in the the era the novels were, but they did it with they waited and waited for No Time to Die, didn't they? Because it was a cinematic experience, and the box office shows they were right to do that, rather than put it out in 2020 when Tenet came out that kind of time. So we are going to get cinema experiences because Amazon, even though they're involved, they've not been they've not really been interfering as far as I know too much yet. Hopefully they'll interfere to say, can you get on with this, guys? Can you get a film out as soon as possible? <laughs> well, I mean, it looks like, I mean, everyone said about um, Michael G. Wilson taking a step back and I think yeah. it his son taking... Yeah, um, Greg. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I've and i seen him do some things. I've seen his name pop up more and I actually didn't even know what he looked like until a few months ago because he was on something. I was like, oh, right, okay. So I think... You know, I think it's you also forget how long Barbara and Michael have really been running the show. I mean, yeah. I would say since Goldeneye because Cubby was kind of mostly out of action on that anyway. So it has it's been longest, isn't it now? Yeah, it's almost thirty years. 30 years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think Not- new, new blood, new new blood is is always needed, and for something to survive, it's got to keep going, and you need to kind of eventually pass it over. And I think that this is the thing that we've got to be excited about. And you're right, Tom. To we need to kind of. I think pull together because it's so easy. It's so easy for someone to write a comment or to just say, "Oh, this this is going to be crap. This is rubbish." You know, you get it's awful for, for actors and for filmmakers nowadays because one wrong thing that looks bad, then everyone's on them, and it's like death threats and just stupid things yeah. like that. 
which some people will write and they'll think, oh, it's nothing. I'm just writing a tweet. But it can cause a lot if, if there's hundreds of people doing that same thing. We've given time for this series before and we can do it again, especially for when it's entering a new era. You know, hopefully we'll get new games, some new merch, maybe some series. Maybe that's not directly related to the, yeah, the films. Yeah. I think the films have a level, level of prestige that needs to kind of be uninterrupted. But I think there's ways to adapt this James Bond world without actively affecting what the purpose of the films are. So just keeping my fingers crossed that um, we get something, at least some news this year. I would like some news <laughs> this year. It's okay. January. We've got time. I feel like and I want it- to quote Dr. Evil, say, throw us a freaking bone. First <laughs> 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 of sharks with laser beams on their freaking heads. Like, don't do that. We don't want that in a new film, but I mean, I'd be kind of intrigued by that as well. But Get Michael Caine. Really- get Michael Caine. Yeah. yeah. Can't believe he's not been in a Bond film, really. Because he's like he was best mates with Sean and Roger as well. I know you see um, that hero stories, and he was in the Fourth Protocol, famously. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, this is fantastic, guys! I'm re- I am still excited, and I'm not at the stage where I'm clicking refresh every day. I'm expecting some news. When it happens, we're all going to be excited, and we're all going to sort of that'll give us a new lease of life because it's been a bit weird to celebrate the 60th anniversary with Bond perished, you know, and no, no one act. It's the first time ever there's been no, no actor representing the franchise, isn't it really? Because until you get replaced, that that's it. You know, you, you're still Bond. Tim was still technically Bond until 94. But now, I know Craig, he's done a few things, hasn't he? He's done a few things, sort of going to events with Barbara and Michael, but technically... Infamous adverts. Yeah, but that's, yeah. that's more like a... Two fingers up at Bond, that. It's like, great, I don't have to be Bond anymore. Uh, <laughs> There's so, someone's ringing a bell out there for, for yeah. boxing. So, someone will enter the ring and fight <laughs> I'm not going to do it's it. It's time to go, Tom. Yeah. We do look forward to, to the next Bond and the next the next press conference. That'll be fascinating, won't it? You know, in this age of Bond social media and everything, because, like you say, 2006, there was none of that really, was there, when... Or anywhere near this level, that'll be out and a massive event. I mean, some people might be able to go to it personally. Thank you, guys. It's been a wonderful discussion. I've really enjoyed it. Great to meet you, Charlie. Oh, this was great. It was great to spend some time with you guys and and uh, talk about Bond. Yeah, this is this is really fun. Thank you. It's great to have a, a really passionate, positive Bond fan, and you're so good. And like I say, if you if you don't know Charlie on Instagram, Charloid was it oh nine two six? That's right. Hey, you that's right. Work. You're all right then, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> and Sam is also on social media, aren't you? I'm about, you know, I'm here and there. I'm everywhere, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh... Thanks for listening, everybody. And we look forward to unveiling the news when the next bomb is announced. But until then, it's been really, really great having you both guys. And good night, sir. <laughs> really It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.